welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. An oil drilling proposal for the north slope of Alaska faces an important deadline coming up. The so-called Willow Project promises many billions of dollars in revenue and hundreds of jobs for northern Alaska residents. The Arctic Slope Alaska Native Corporation supports the project. At the same time, environmental groups and a significant percentage of the people who live in the region worry about the potential damage to their landscape, subsistence hunting and fishing, and to their homes on the perilous front lines of climate change. We'll find out some of the benefits and drawbacks of new oil drilling in Alaska, right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A bill to create a study committee to improve Native children's lives was killed in the South Dakota House of Representatives on Wednesday. Senate Bill 191 was approved on the Senate side and then got unanimously approved in the House Judiciary Committee, but two days later, it died on the House floor. Victoria Wicks reports. Senate Bill 191 required a 17-member committee to meet at least eight times in 18 months with the Legislative Research Council coordinating the effort. Representative Tony Van Huysen said during House discussion that the bill required too much. Nine of the 17 members are from the tribes, just over half, two from DSS, two from the court system, then just four legislators. So four legislators on a 17-person committee, but we're paying for it. Representative Perry Poirier justified including all nine tribal nations inside South Dakota's borders. They have their own independent taxation compact agreements. They have their own agreements with DSS, and they all have their own policies. Poirier said tribal families are in crisis, with Native Americans in the top tier of problems such as incarceration rates, dropout rates, and health issues. This is a problem that the tribes cannot solve on their own. They still need the state of South Dakota, and this is not a problem that the state of South Dakota can address on its own. You need the tribes. We need each other. Poirier noted that the commission might find a way to assist Native children and families to prevent those failures, but instead the state spends millions to deal with the negative outcomes. We're allocating hundreds of millions of dollars for new state prisons. The bill failed by a vote of 42 to 26. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. Also in South Dakota, a law that established a state tribal relations committee has been amended to reduce the mandatory number of Democrats serving on it. The House of Representatives voted to pass Senate Bill 69 Wednesday. Its prime sponsor says the new markup better reflects the will of South Dakota voters. The state tribal relations committee by law consists of 10 legislators with a minimum of four members from the minority party. Senate Bill 69 drops the minimum number to two. Republicans currently hold 90% of the seats in the legislature. Senator Lee Schoenbeck introduced the bill at the state Senate affairs hearing in January. He said the law no longer reflects the reality of the political situation. When they originally passed this, it probably didn't seem so strange because there used to be a lot of Democrats in the legislature. The committee arose from reconciliation efforts that started with Governor George Mickelson, who died in office in 1993. Schoenbeck said tribes benefit from having legislators on the committee who are not Native. It doesn't make much sense to have the tribes come to the committee and tell tribal members, hey, here's what's going on in tribal country. It makes a lot more sense to have the tribes come and talk to people that don't live in tribal country. 
Senate Bill 69 passed through the committee and went to clear both chambers. At its last legislative appearance in the House, Representative Perry Poirier tried to get the chamber to approve the amendment that required appointment of legislators who represent districts containing tribal lands. This isn't about party. This is about the voice of those citizens that are in the tribal nations who elect their leaders. That amendment failed and the House approved the bill by a vote of 57 to 11. The Bridging Agency Data Gaps and Ensuring Safety for Native Communities Act was introduced in Congress Wednesday by Representatives Ruben Gallego, Dan Newhouse, and Sharice Davids. The bill seeks to strengthen tribal law enforcement and increase public safety in Indian country. It includes several provisions to address missing and murdered Indigenous people. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. This Easter, you can find truly unique gifts and menu items from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company, where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A major oil drilling project proposed for Alaska's North Slope promises much-needed jobs and revenue for Alaska Native people and others in the country's largest state. The Willow Project by ConocoPhillips could generate 180,000 barrels of oil a day. It has the support of the Arctic Slope Regional Corporation and all of Alaska's congressional delegation, including the newly elected Alaska Native Democrat, Mary Peltola. Among the benefits, they say, is up to $17 billion in revenue, according to the Federal Bureau of Land Management. But it's not all about the economic benefits. Critics, including many of the people who live near the proposed drilling site, say the development alone poses very real problems for the fragile ecology of the area. And beyond that, the emissions from the oil over the lifetime of the project contributes to the growing problem of climate change that is a very real danger for the Alaska Native residents watching the thawing permafrost and rising sea levels that are destroying their land, homes, and subsistence way of life. The Biden administration is set to make a recommendation for or against the project as early as next week. Today we'll hear some of the arguments about what's at stake with the Willow Project. We also want to hear from you. Can the vast oil reserves in Alaska help guard against the current instability of global energy economics? Or is the cost too high? And is it time to make more investments in alternative energy? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848 to share your thoughts. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. One note of disclosure, ConocoPhillips, the corporation that proposes the Willow Project, is an underwriter for Quantic Broadcast Corporation, Native America Calling's parent company. Joining us first from Washington, D.C. is Nagaruk Harkcharek. He is the president of the Voice of the Arctic Anupiat. He is Anupiak from Barrow, Alaska. Nagaruk Welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. 
Well, tell us more about the Willow Project. Uh, why do you support it, and, and why is it good for uh, for your people? Thanks for the question. And if I could, I'd start by kind of introducing the organization just to set some context. So the, the Voice of the Arctic, Inupiat, the organization that I represent, was established in 2015 to advocate on issues important to Alaska's North Slope Inupiat and, and our constituents. Our board includes 24 member organizations that represent the Indigenous people from the various communities, so city tribes or cities, tribes, some of the regional organizations like North Slope Borough, um, some of the village corporations um, from across the slope. So what you know the, the biggest reason I think we support the Willow Project is the economic benefit that the development has provided to the region uh, since the 70s when, when this all kind of kicked off um, has made drastic changes in the lives of the people, right? We went from third world conditions in the first world conditions, I can remember as a kid when they installed a flush toilet in my house, um, when we were, you know, and, and growing up, I remember folks still going out uh, to lakes to get sea ice or to get uh, lake ice to be able to provide fresh water. So now, you know, we have running water, sewer, we've got police and fire protection in the communities, we've got search and rescue services in the communities, we've got a Department of Wildlife Management um, that helps protect our subsistence resources. Um, so all of these economic benefits that it has enhanced our lives, both economically and from a subsistence perspective, right, providing jobs that folks can afford, snowmobiles, ATVs, firearms, ammunition, supplemental food, maybe from grocery stores, all of those things that, that allow us to live in this more modern world that we've adapted to and adapted very well to and, and have taken advantage of all of the benefits. That's why we support the project. Now, Nagaruk, uh, many of our listeners are, are, are down in the lower 48, and, and many perhaps have maybe never even been to Alaska and don't really understand just uh, what the lifestyle is there and what some of these dynamics are with regard to the oil industry. So if you could help out those listeners and, and really explain to them and tell them what is it that they need to understand about this Willow Project there in Alaska? biggest thing is how the revenue is generated for for the communities on the North Slope. That's that's oftentimes lost on folks. So back in the 1970s, the our, our leaders, our, our past leaders and my mentors um, utilized the laws that they had in front of them to to benefit from the development that was going to take place. Right? How do we maximize the benefit on the development that is, is surely going to take place? So they decided to formed the North Slope Borough. The North Slope Borough, um, through the laws, has the ability to tax oil infrastructure um, that's on, on the land. That tax that they get provides for all of the services that I mentioned um, uh, in my, in my, um, during the last question. Um, all of those services. So if if, if that gets turned off or if we're not allowed to expand, right, something's got to give at some point from the economic standpoint, right? The money's not coming in, you know, mm -hmm. meanwhile, things are getting seemingly more expensive. Things start to uh, kind of take a turn for the worse as far as that continued maintenance that's required on some of the systems that I mentioned. Right? So if we're not allowed to continue to benefit economically from the resources that we have available to us, there's, there's a possibility that we may go back in, in lifestyle 
over the course of time. All righty. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Nagrook, for, for helping us set the tone of today's conversation. I want to bring in our next guest now, who is also joining us from Washington, D.C., Doreen Levitt. She is the Director of Natural Resources for the Inupiat Community of the Arctic Slope, and she's also a tribal member of the Inupiat Community, uh, and she is Inupiat. Doreen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, well, tell us a little bit more about how this project will help the people in Alaska, the Willow Project. Sure. I'll, um, right along with Nugget, give a little um, context to who Inupiat Community of the Arctic Slope is first. Um, we are a federally recognized sovereign regional tribe. We represent eight tribes across the North Slope with over 13,000 members. Um, we are one of two regional tribes in the entire United States under the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934. Um, how it will benefit, um, just to um, support what Nagarok was saying was, you know, that taxation, it supports our schools, healthcare, um, you know, our public works, water and sewer, um, provides economy for our people. Um, I personally support it as a resident and as a tribal member, you know, our harsh climate, the high cost of living, our region has been dependent on development for the past 50 years, and I support it not just, you know, myself personally, but for my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren so they could still continue to live on our ancestral lands. And if we don't have an alternative plan today without oil and gas development, then we will be leaving our ancestral lands. And I don't want to see that to happen for any of our tribal members. Now, Doreen, we'll hear from some critics uh, of the project coming up who say oil development, it's a major harm to people all over the world, but especially the Alaska Native people who live right where this proposed project is. How do you make that balance? Well, um, as um, Inupiat Community of the Arctic Slope, which is also called ICAF, you know, Willow has been designed to meet the needs of our indigenous communities. Um, Bureau of Land Management followed years-long planning process on Willow. They provided public comment periods, hosted public meetings, in which ICAS is also uh, a cooperating agency with BLM. Um, you know, that balance, you know, they, you know, air quality testing has been done, the um, environmental impact statements been out there, and, um, you know, if BLM has approved it and has done so many years of research on this um you know that's that's the balance it's um it's what's best for our economy what's best for our region our state and our nation what are your primary concerns uh just any potential challenges or issues that you're most concerned about going forward or do you think this is just uh just a huge win across the board i'm sorry state that again I just wanted to ask you, what do you have any any specific concerns uh, going forward about the project, or are you just you know are you just, do you consider it just a very very good thing for Alaska across the board? I think it's a very very good thing for Alaska across the board, and like I said, our nation. Um, you know, they BLM went through you know so much time and effort and years, and um, you know, the proposed plan alternative E with the three pads is um, what's best for, for our nation and our people, especially our tribal members and the people who actually live on the North Slope. Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's go ahead and bring in uh, our third guest today, who's again joining us from Washington, D.C., Representative Josiah Pakatuk. He is the District 40 Alaska State House Representative. He is Anupiak. Josiah, welcome to the show. Oh, it's not like we have Josiah. You might have stepped out just for a moment. I know you folks are, are in meetings there. And uh, I want to ask you, Doreen, I mean, you know, thinking about, you know, some of the other sides of this issue and some of the folks that, that don't support it. I mean, what are you hearing in terms of the, the main issues or the main arguments against it right now? All right, folks, uh, you know, what? we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment. So I want to go ahead and give the phone number out for anybody who wants to give us a call today. 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. We're talking about a major oil drilling project proposed for Alaska's North Slope. And uh, it has huge, huge uh, economic potential, but it does come with risks with regard to the environment. So we've got folks on both sides of the issue today that are going to join us. We've got a lot of guests, actually, and we've got callers as well. So it's going to be a busy show, lots to talk about. And uh, if you want to join us, feel free, 1-800-99-NATIVE. That is our number to call. Again, the Willow Project, proposed oil drilling in Alaska's North Slope. I'm Sean Spruce, your host. We'll be right back. This is Sean Spruce, host of Native America Calling. You can listen in every weekday to hear the only national call-in show from a Native American perspective. We explore topics that range from traditional cultural practices to up-to-the-minute news that affects every American. We hope you can join us for the next Native America Calling. If you are age 45 and older, it may be time to talk with your healthcare professional about your colon cancer screening, Medicare and Medicaid, and Marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. Message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Thanks for tuning in today to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're checking in with a proposed oil drilling project in northern Alaska. It faces a key decision from the U.S. Department of Interior in the coming days. Many political watchers consider it a test of the Biden administration's promise to move away from energy sources that contribute to climate change. At the same time, it has near-unanimous support from Alaska elected leaders and from the Alaska Native Corporation that represents the area. Join our show by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line right now is District 40 Alaska State House Representative Josiah Pakatuk. Josiah, hello. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you as well, Josiah. And uh, what are you hearing from your constituency uh, right now in terms of both people that are either for or opposed uh, to the project? 
Uh, hearing a, a variety of things, you know, there's there, there's the uh, ecological um, and environmental aspect that uh, is is necessary and is uh, important to roll into anything that we do uh, on the North Slope and and just all over Alaska. Uh, that that uh, I think we've been able to strike a balance with uh, specific to oil and gas development. Uh, in comparison to the rest of the world and, and specifically other countries that do it, um, neg negligible to to the environment. And so that's uh, that's one major concern. <clears throat> um, and and we've spent a lot of time uh, working towards striking that balance between the, that aspect of it and, and the economical opportunity that it poses. The the uh, base for an economy locally that we can have so that we're not dependent upon the state or the Fed um, to supplant all our needs. And so uh, there's a plethora of uh, different elements that the Willow Project specifically um, has has taken into account. Okay, now uh, this key decision from the U.S. Department of Interior in the coming days, um, will that be the either the green light or the red light in, in terms of where this uh, project goes next? Uh, from from everything that I know and, and have read and uh, talking with folks is that, uh, you know, the, the alternative, um, the, the, there's one alternative that, that is going to green light it and the rest would uh, kind of red light it. And, um, you know, being, having, having managed construction projects uh, residential construction projects in the past and uh, understanding um, that there has to be a certain level of return on investment uh, th that makes sense to me so okay and how confident are you that this project will get the green light and move forward uh, well uh, th that's part of what we're doing down here in DC is uh, advocating on behalf of um, not only the the folks that you mentioned in your introduction that support it but uh, simultaneously, you've got Alaska Federation of Natives that have unanimously support, supported the Willow Project. You've got the, most recently, the state legislature uh, that was able to get behind it. And I actually prime sponsored the, the resolution in regards to it because um, I think it's it's only fair that uh, the people that are are living with both the positive and potential negative uh, uh, consequences of it should should be at the steering wheel of the discussion. And so we we highlighted um, kind of what I just highlighted to you a few seconds ago as far as both the concerns ecologically and, and, and to the environment and uh, the, the direct economic impact that it can can have so that we can have the tools available to us to, to try to fight and, and work within some of the um, uh, environmental changes that we're seeing that frankly, it may not be caused by us. And so one of those examples is, um, uh, you know, in, in Barra, we've got a coastal erosion project that's coming online that took a lot of federal money, sure, um, but it took a, 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 a local match uh, to the tune of $50 million to be able to put the coastal erosion project uh, at the forefront and start to make it a reality. And if and, and it boils down, I guess, to, to some of the points that uh, this Willow Project can help with. And it, it's giving us the tools so that we can address uh, our, our, our needs 
locally, whether they're some of the points that Nagurg lined out with uh, basic social services and, and, and government services through the borough, or if it's to, to what I just explained with the um, you know coastal erosion project and, and many other projects like that. So, Well, Josiah, thank you for, for your insights as well. I want to move along now to our fourth guest today, who is speaking with us from Fairbanks, Alaska, Delula Erickson. She is the Environmental Justice Director for Native Movement, and she is an enrolled tribal member uh, from the native village of Caltag. Delula, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. <clears throat> well, Delula, uh, what is it uh, that you're hearing uh, in terms of the prevailing inclination of Alaska Native people in this region of the state? Um, yeah, I'll just give a quick um, preview of like the organization that I work for and who we are. So I work for Native Movement in the Environmental Justice Department, and we're a 501c3 nonprofit that we, and we organize on the statewide level, um, and we are led by a diverse board of directors and advisory board members that represent um, a wide range of tribal affiliations across the state. Um, so we're focused on um, supporting grassroots movement building and uplifting community voices um, that are working towards advocating for a just and equitable future for all beings. Um, and what we've been hearing on our end and what we're supporting um, are the voices coming out of New Ixid in opposition to this project. Um, the city and tribe put out a detailed letter um, that was addressed to the BLM, um, citing their major concerns with um, the project and the process that uh, went up to and led to where we're at now. Um, and there were a lot. So this is like, it's a very detailed 10-page paper. And some of like the big concerns was like the lack of adequate consultation with the people in the community um, by the Bureau of Land Management. Um, there are also like concerns around the potential loss of income um, in regards to subsistence resources. They have a case study in their letter that shows that um, if they are cut off from their subsistence resources, it could result in like a $30,000 um, increase in living costs, which is like, it puts mm -hmm. the village at like, it increases the village's um, need for uh, sub supplementing their traditional diets with less nutritional store-bought foods um, if they are cut off from those resources. And then also the industry has a long history of not communicating effectively with the village, especially during times of emergency. Um, there were recorded episodes of gas leaks in the past that caused um, sickness in the village and they were not provided adequate air quality data at the time and they were cut off from information on what was going on and how they should be responding if they should evacuate or not. Um, and that causes a lot of physical and mental stress on the communities. And again, this is all coming from the letter that the village and, and city of Nuixit put out um, and then also just speaking on like a resident perspective in the state of Alaska who is affected by the climate crisis, this project is going to exasperate that crisis. Um, 
and okay. yeah, it'll. All right, Delula, thank you for for these insights. And the, the one question I want to ask, the, the follow up here is: you mentioned this loss of income uh, from subsistence resources that could be like a thirty thousand dollar annual impact to to some. Uh, Alaska Native individuals and families, and, and earlier, you know, learning about this project, and you know, they're they're saying up to seventeen billion dollars in revenue, uh, according to to BLM. And when you think of a state uh, that that has less than a million people, and a seventeen billion dollar revenue gain, uh, just seems like such a huge number. It seems like it would just create so much economic prosperity for so many people, and yet you're saying it could potentially hurt people in terms of income? Yeah, and I think the important question to ask there too is who is benefiting from that economic income? Um, because as far as we know, it's not going to be the residents who are taking the loss in New Exit. So who will it be then? Who will benefit then? Um, the oil companies, the corporations that are supporting this, the state, um, the employees that work up there, um, but it won't be directly the residents who are going to take the loss or the residents of Alaska who have to live with the climate, the impacts on the climate crisis that this is exasperating. All righty, Delula, thank you so much. I want to move along to another guest now who is joining us from Nooksook, Alaska. We have Eunice Brower. She is the tribal treasurer for Nooksook, and she is Anupiak. Eunice, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for um, letting me know to and be invited to join in on this call. Um, it's very, very important to be heard. Um, and it's especially for the, from the people that live in the village. Um, being, being there. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was absolutely, Eunice, and that's why we want to hear from you so much, because you were there, uh, you're in ground zero. This is personal for you. This is your village. It's going to be directly impacted. Yes. Um, I've attended uh, very many meetings, you know, local, with the city and the Norso Borough and, you know, with the state and many government-to-government -government meetings, but uh, there's been so many concerns due to uh, these projects being developed, especially the Willow Project to come into mind, uh, expansion of the oil and gas. You know, they first started in Prudhoe and then they come closer and then there's, you know, Alpine and then now yeah. there's GMT-1 and then GMT-2 and now this Willow Project, really, really big project. Um, very many concerns people, you know, having less subsistence, especially of the caribou, and it's starting to impact the fish um, because they're so close to the waterways of, and where the fish come into the river. And now this willow project is so big, some of the caribou have been deflected, and now we have to go much further to go hunt. Um, a lot of some of our subsistence people that catch these caribou have noticed a decline in their catch. We don't catch as much caribou as we 
used to before these projects. And the concerns having to go out further, um, the cost for our search and rescue teams to have to go rescue the people who run out of gas if they don't plan effectively and run out of fuel while out there, you know, we have to send church and rescue teams to go rescue them. And, you know, our environment that we live in is very um, harsh. It can change really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. They do, you know, dress properly and have, have to bring, you know, camping gear now to plan you know, that if they do get stranded for some reason, that they have to have some sort of uh, protection from the environment. So they do sometimes have to bring camping gear. Okay. And Eunice, could you talk a little bit more specifically about how some of these threats that you're sharing today, the impact on the fish, the impact of the caribou, I mean, how how will these be directly impacted by these potential oil wells? Can you make that connection for us? Well, there's a lot of uh, emissions coming from these oil wells. A lot of them are, you know, non, you can't see them. They're invisible. A lot of the um air quality is very impacted from these emissions from all the equipment and the emissions coming from the drilling um, do cause hazards. There sometimes our hunters go out there and go hunting and then accidentally come into this fog or mist. They're concerned that uh, if they're not, you know, knowing of these emissions, if there's some sort of mishap mm-hmm. where, you know, they come into and come into these emissions and they get stinged by their eyes and stings of, on their face, you know. Sure, sure. From yeah. some okay. of these. Okay. Yeah. Well, Eunice, uh, you know, thank you for, again, for these insights. And uh, Eunice Brower, who's a tribal treasurer for Nooksuk, and she is uh, right there. Uh, this impacts her community directly. Folks, uh, the number to call with questions and comments, 1-800-996-2848. Uh, we're going to take a break here in a couple of minutes, but I do want to introduce our next guest joining us from Anchorage, Alaska, is Adam Ortega. He's a communications coordinator for Alaska Community Action on Toxics. Adam, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you for having me, Sean. Big fan of the show. Oh, well, thanks for, I appreciate that, that shout out there very much. And Adam, we said we do have to take a break in about another minute and a half, but you've heard the arguments about why this project is, is a benefit, right? Billions of dollars for the residents of Alaska, long-term jobs, economics, progress. Uh, what are your concerns? Well, let's not mince words here, Sean. The Willow Project would be a disaster for our climate. In the next 30 years, around 278, 287 million metric tons of greenhouse gas pollution would go into our atmosphere, which is the equivalent to almost 80 coal-fired power plants, which is about a third of all coal power plants across the country. That's one big thing that I want to stress right off the bat before we take our break, is this would be an environmental catastrophe if it's passed. Okay, an environmental catastrophe, says Adam Ortega. And he is with Alaska Community Action on Toxics. 
We are going to take a short break here. We're going to talk more with Adam and learn more about why he feels that this could be so catastrophic for the state of Alaska. And then, of course, we're also going to talk with uh, some of our other guests who think this is a wonderful thing for the state of Alaska, and they're very supportive, and they see huge economic benefits that far outweigh the uh, the environmental and other concerns that uh, some folks are, are sharing today. So we definitely have two sides of an issue today that we're discussing on Native American Calling, and we're going to do our best to give you both sides of that argument in a balanced discussion so you have some of the tools and resources to make your own decisions. That's what our show is about here on Native America Calling. And if you've got a question today, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort in Tulsa, Oklahoma, June 26th to the 29th. Learn how tribes are using self-governance for the delivery of programs and services for their citizens and communities, and how this authority improves the health and well-being of tribal communities. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're hearing about the oil drilling proposal for Alaska known as the Willow Project. Join our discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. On the line is Adam Ortega. He's up in Anchorage, Alaska. And Adam, uh, you made it clear before break uh, that the environmental risks here are, are dire. But uh, there is the promise of jobs and certainly a considerable amount of revenue for the Alaska Native Corporation. Doesn't that factor into this argument? No, I think you're absolutely right, Sean. It does. And uh, I do want to thank everybody else on the call here for voicing their opinion. I think it's very important that everybody has voice in this matter. Uh, but I don't think that that outweighs the environmental risks that the uh, Willow Project would propose. I mean, it's essentially a carbon bomb. And not to mention that it's also just terrible for environmental justice. Uh, we heard that it's about 36 miles from Nuiqsut, uh, which is already surrounded by go uh, oil and gas activity, uh, further increasing rates of respiratory illness, which have increased uh, rapidly in recent years. And residents point to the increased risk of uh, black carbon pollution that comes from fossil fuel production as contributing to that rise. Uh, okay. not to Adam, mention... real quick, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that word, carbon bomb, <laughs> that's pretty alarming. Could you explain what, what is a carbon bomb? Right, right. So, uh, like I said before, uh, the Willow Project could uh, pump out almost close to 290 million metric tons of greenhouse gas pollution into our atmosphere uh, before the break. Um, I stated that, which would be close to almost 80 new coal-fired power plants, which is about a third of all coal power plants across the country. And, and so, I mean, it's no secret that the Willow Project would be the largest um, drilling project in the country. I mean, we already know the climate crisis is here. So going further in the wrong direction is just uh, not very productive, in my opinion. Let's go to the phones now. We have Carlin Itchuk, and he's the Senior Regional Director for the Alaska Region for the Wilderness Society, and he's Anopiak. Hello, Carlin. What do you say about what you've heard so far on the show today? 
Yeah, thank you, Sean, and thanks for having me here today. I want to echo what Adam said about uh, really appreciating uh, the voices of Nagruk Doreen and uh, Josiah as well and uh, everyone else that has been on. Um, it's a, it's a, a tough conversation to have, and um, I'm reminded by what one of my law professors said, that reasonable minds may differ. And uh, I, I strongly oppose the, Wilder, the Willow Master Development Project and uh, representing our million members and supporters of the Wilderness Society. Um, this is uh, uh, some, some of the uh, talk about the cost-benefit analysis is really important. And in my view, is the, the costs outweigh the benefits. Um, as Adam mentioned, uh, this would produce millions of barrels of oil every year for 30 years. And in terms of the carbon bomb, we all know that burning fossil fuels is the primary cause of increased carbon dioxide concentrations and also the primary cause of climate change. And this project would exacerbate that to the point of no return in my mind. All righty. Well, thank you for those insights and calling in today, Carlin. Let's take another caller. We have Henry, who's listening in Point Hope, Alaska. Henry, hello. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a pretty big supporter of this project. You know, we've, like I was listening, hearing one of the other first people talking about, you know, how our first ASRC project sort of was a big benefit to our sewage system because I, I too, was along growing up with, you know, having to dump honey buckets and um, there's pretty much a lot of manual work and then with, with the new sewer system put in, benefited all the community across the North Slope. But also, you know, uh, and then change, you know, happens inevitably with uh, anything. You know, there's uh, there's the ups and downs to it. But I also believe, you know, with all this processed food that we eat, consume, gets us sick, just about as fast rate as maybe even faster of what uh, the fossil fuels does. So I believe it will help benefit our health care system because we don't, you know, uh, okay. We we are taken care of, but we don't have the best. So with this new one, I support it mainly because of it providing a better way for our future, for our kids' health. Okay, Henry, and if I'm not mistaken, you're an Arctic Slope Corporation shareholder. Is that correct? Yes, yes, okay. I am. So let me ask you just in terms of the financial impact, how do you see this Willow Project directly benefiting your family financially? Um, jobs, opportunity, school, uh, for my kids, for my kids' kids, um, pretty much, you know, or that's what I kind of am seeing what will happen with this project. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling in today, Henry. We sure appreciate it. I want to go back to our first guest, uh, Nagruk Hacharek and Nagruk You've heard terms today like carbon bomb. Uh, there's concern about wildlife and subsistence hunting, melting the permafrost. Do any of these arguments have any sway with you? Uh, no, and you know, to I kind of wrote some things down here. So, with respect to you know the the climate change pieces, you know, President Biden Biden himself has acknowledged that we're going to need fossil fuels for at least 10 years. Lots of people would argue longer than that. I would fall into that category. 10, 20, 30 years, this transition 
is going to take some time, right? So in the meantime, the United States is going to need the oil. The United States is going to need the fuel. If we don't do it on the North Slope in the most environmentally responsible way that we can, right, which is the record on the North Slope, we have the most environmentally stringent restrictions, where, where are they going to get the oil from? They're going to get it from countries like Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, that care much less about the environment than we do, right? So that's mm -hmm. point one. Second one, with respect to, you know, one of the other callers mentioned jobs, and there's not going to be any benefit for the people on the North Slope. That's, that's, that's not a fact. The, as I mentioned, the tax revenue goes to the North Slope Borough. The North Slope Borough then reinvests that money back into the communities in the form of services, schools, all of these things that in the, in the villages require people to fill those positions. Right? So there, there is that direct benefit to the communities in the form of jobs on the North Slope. The North Slope Borough's budgets, I think upwards of $400 million a year. A lot of that is, is labor right? and support in those villages. Right? Um, subsistence on the subsistence front, right? Any, any more in this more modern age, we need jobs. We need the money to go to provide for our families, whether that's okay. going to the store or buying a snow machine so that you can subsist or a boat that, so that you can subsist. All of these things cost money. They require jobs and income that, that projects like this are going to provide. All right, I'd like to go back to Delula Erickson now, Environmental Justice Director for Native Movement. And uh, Delula, you know, we're hearing both sides of this issue now. And I wanna ask you, is there a level, a scaled down version of this project that that you would support maybe if they just scaled back a little bit and, and lowered it and possibly limited the amount of some of these negative ramifications uh, that you've talked about with the environment? Would you support that? Um, I would not, no. Um, I think it's important to know that there, I, you know, we've heard the argument that we need this oil um, for Biden's climate plan, right? But the oil that is going to be produced from this oil project won't hit the market for another 10 years. And if we're shooting to be off oil and gas in 10 years and moving towards a more sustainable um, infrastructure plan, it doesn't make sense. The timelines don't add up to me. Um, and I think the best solution is to really invest in those alternative um, energy plans versus continuing to invest in oil and gas. And it's also important to note that Willow will lock us into 30 more years of oil and gas development. Okay, now Delula, I do wanna ask though, I mean, clearly as a society at this point, we're not ready to dispense with oil. So what about the argument that we need to utilize the resource while we can? Could you state that again? Sorry. Yeah, just, you know, we're not ready as a society to dispense with oil, right? So many of us, we, we drive, we fly in airplanes, we, we, you know, we heat our homes with, with, with oil and fuel. And so what about the argument in some folks that say, look, we need to utilize the resources or the resource while we can, the resource of, of oil? Um, I would just refer back to like what I previously stated. We need the oil now because our current plans are holding us dependent to that. Um, there was a recent study that came out that looked at infrastructures in cities, and if we invested heavily in rearranging our infrastructures so that we had more walkable cities and more 
um, reliable, accessible public transportation that ran off of renewable energy sources and sustainable energy sources, that we wouldn't need all of this new oil and gas development and this destructive mining development that people are also claiming we need um, for a renewable economy. So there all there are alternatives out there. We are just so dependent on these oil and gas revenues that we blindside ourselves kind of by not looking at those alternatives and really deeply investing in them. Dulula, thank you. I'd like to go to the phones again. We have Sarah listening on station KNBA in Anchorage, Alaska. Hello, Sarah. Hi, this is Sarah Thomas. I, um, I'm kind of vocal on this issue. I've, I grew up in Oklahovic up in Barrow where it's, you know, getting near now with Willow. If Willow were to go ahead, um, I just wanted to say, I mean, well, a, a lot of the, the big issues here is that we have a monopoly of oil and gas. And I wanted to just respond to the, the, the outlook that uh, we need the oil and gas. Well, right now we do because there has been this monopoly. And techno- But the bottom line is that technology does not equal only oil and gas. That's been something that's been said to us. Um, I also really want to mention the inequality. How much of this, how much of the revenues are going to go to Conical Phillips, who had a record year as many families are struggling, even North Slope families. And I know I, I saw it myself. Families are struggling. Right next door, you have an oil lobbyist that has 10 snow, brand new snow machines and an airplane. And, you know, nothing against people that are working hard for their money, but not everybody wants to live like that. And not and, and, the, and obviously the inequality is killing us. We have suicide rates out the, off the charts. And even my own daughter, she's 13 years old, she said, Mom, why does it seem like the, the world is going to end and no one's doing anything about it? Sarah, thank you for, I, for that call. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And I, want, I want to ask Josiah, and I really appreciate Sarah. I'm sorry, but we're limited on time, so I'm going to have to move on. But uh, Josiah, you know, we just heard from Sarah with regard to, you know, how some of these benefits are distributed. Can, can you tell us how much uh, of the benefits from this potential $17 billion project will go to, to just regular citizens in the state of Alaska, not lobbyists uh, and not other, you know, stakeholders like like we're hearing about today, but just regular people. Sure, yeah. No, I think, um, you know, I, I think looking at di- diving into the economics of the project is important because the benefits, uh, just generally speaking, for um, the general population is there, right? I mean, you. I, I was just in a meeting earlier. We were talking with... Uh, John Podesta and I lined out to him that at the state level we have three and a half billion dollars that's uh, expected in, in revenue annually based on uh, all of our oil, gas, mining, cigarette tax. I mean, a- any way that the state of Alaska generates revenue, another three and a half billion dollars comes from our uh, investment returns, and so that's about a seven billion dollar um, you know o- operating budget annually. And then you look at uh, what what that money needs to be spent on, right? When you go to the Department of Health and Social Services for the state of Alaska, think of all the programs that fall under that. You're having to spend about $1.3 billion for that. The the next biggest thing is the Department of Education, $1.2 billion. On an annual basis, we're spending uh, $3.5 billion on two very important services that the state provides. 
uh, that, that reach every uh, resident of the state, whether you're rural or urban. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I think that's uh, one of the things that we need to kind of draw a line with, too, is, is the rural-urban divide. And, um, you know, what works for uh, uh, urban Alaska may not work for rural Alaska, right? I mean, we, we heard public transportation discussions uh, earlier. How does that play into uh, communities that are just boardwalks? Boardwalks. There's no no roads, no no buses, no uh, you know big metropolitan uh, ways of public transportation. So, going back to the economic side of things, the other thing that plays a role in it is the permanent fund dividend distribution to the state, and um, that that can be anywhere from 1.5 to two and a half billion dollars, um, depending on what the legislature does as far as the appropriations. So. Uh, the, the idea that uh, the economic benefits won't be felt across the board is false, uh, <laughs> plain and clear. Um, as, we, as we look to uh, a transitioning energy reliance, the other half of that discussion is the economic aspect to that because just in, the, just in what I pointed out with the state budget, um, say we shut it down tomorrow, right, and say – that aspect of the economy is there. What's the solution to backfill those needs uh, on an economic basis? And I, I don't see that solution. Um, and, and, and so it, it brings the conversation back to reality as far as uh, there's a balanced approach here. Um, I, I think one of the other things that uh, is, is needs to be discussed is the subsistence aspect, right? I mean, I, I come from a family, generations upon generations that were that are and were reliant upon uh, bowhead whaling mainly and all the terrestrial game and, and marine mammals that we hunt. What, what, what I would like to ask is these same folks that are um, essentially calling for shutting down our economy that we use to help pay for our ability to hunt and protect our rights, right? I mean, on a, on a global basis, um, the, the North Shore Borough spends uh, uh, up to $30 million a year with the okay, Department Josiah, of Wildlife. I'm sorry, we're going to have to wrap up. I, I do apologize, but uh, I want to thank all of our guests today. Really thought-provoking conversation on the benefits and drawbacks of the proposed Willow Project in Alaska. Join us again tomorrow when host Andy Murphy talks about a project in Wisconsin that is experimenting with traditional bartering and a native seafood restaurant. I'm Sean Spruce. We'll talk again soon. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.